0: Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf, using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Nathan Augustine, who is the art collections manager for John Deere. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you. John Deere has one of the best corporate art collections in the world, and it's right here in our community, at Deere's headquarters in Moline. How did this collection begin?
1: Well, the story goes that um, back in the 1960s, um, John Deere was looking to build a new headquarters building. At that at that time, we were still in downtown Moline, where the um, let's see, the TaxSlayer Center is now. And uh, that we'd outgrown that building. We had people scattered throughout the Quad Cities in a whole, I think it was 27 different office buildings. And um, the CEO at the time, Bill Hewitt, um, decided he wanted to consolidate all these offices into one big headquarters building. Um, so he uh, hired an architect named Aero Saarinen to um, build the building. Saarinen was a world-famous architect. He's also the same architect who did the um, St. Louis Gateway Arch. Um, And the Deer & Company headquarters is considered one of his crowning achievements. So the building
0: itself really is a work of art.
1: Absolutely. The building itself is a work of art. And we just celebrated its um, 50th anniversary, uh, let's see, four years – well, let's see, in 2014. So it is a truly remarkable building. Um, The people who work there still love it. I love it. I think it's a a gorgeous building. But as the building was built, the walls were white, the floors were white, the ceilings were white – and um, the people who were who started to work there kind of thought it looked a, a little bit uh, antiseptic, a little bit cold. So Bill Hewitt decided to um, decorate it. And the idea that he came up with was not just to decorate the building but to um, achieve a couple of different goals as well. Um, when they were looking around for a new headquarters building, there was a bit of a push from some of the board members to move Deer into a more – internationally accessible city. Los Angeles, New York, Chicago all came up as possibilities, but Hewitt wanted to keep the company near its roots, so he decided to instead bring the world to Moline. Mm -hmm. So as he traveled throughout the world, and he was an extensive traveler, he started collecting art, and uh, his goals were to get some art from every country that John Deere had a presence in, and also to... um, collect art that would make people think. Mm-hmm. Most of the collection, only about a quarter of the collection has anything to do with agriculture or farming or anything like that. Most of it is the cutting-edge art of that day, which is abstract expressionism primarily.
0: Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what period of time was he collecting?
1: So he was collecting from about 1964 until about 1974, mm-hmm. that 10-year that period.
0: And during that time period, he was chairman of Deer.
1: He was chairman of Deere actually from 1959 until 1982. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of right in the center section of his um, tenure as chairman Mm -hmm. and CEO.
0: So the collection of this international art mirrored in a way John Deere's expansion from a regional presence to a national to international.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. At the time, we were um, expanding into Mexico. Um, In 1956, we bought a factory in Mannheim, Germany, which got us into the European market, We'd expanded into Canada, South America, into Argentina, so we were we were going all over the world. And dear and Bill Hewitt specifically wanted to expose his employees to new ideas and new new cultures, so that they would think outside the box and mm-hmm. be a little bit more creative.
0: Yeah, I think that that works. Yeah, um, So he has amassed quite a collection. There are approximately two thousand museum quality or museum worthy pieces. Sure, absolutely. And how many did he purchase a year, and where did he get these?
1: He purchased a lot. (laughs) Um, I couldn't give you an average number per year that he collected, but anywhere from one or two one year to 20 or 30 the next. And basically every time he'd take a trip, um, whether it be to Europe, to the Orient, to the Middle East, he would bring back whatever he saw that caught his eye.
0: You had said before that there were – Business goals behind this massive art mm-hmm. acquisition, and one of them was to show the world to the employees, and the employees I- do get to see these pieces. Yes, many of them are hanging in the hallways that right. they walk down every day.
1: Yeah, I I concentrated most of the best art on our fourth floor. Um, when you come into the building, you come in on the fourth floor because the building's built into a ravine, and that is really the the highway corridor. Everyone who works in the building. Um, comes down that corridor, and all of our tour groups go through that corridor too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the museum area of the headquarters building.
0: Right. The second goal you would said was to stimulate the employees to think more independently and creatively.
1: Absolutely. There's a number of pieces that many people love, and there's a number of people pieces that many people hate. And either reaction is fine with me. That's the goal is to get people even arguing about the art um, I've got a number of individuals who have their pet favorites or their pet not so favorites um, and we, we joke about it all the time yep
0: um, our tastes are all always different but that's what makes I think art and viewing art and talking about art so fun yeah. so we should talk again about the building because it is really spectacular sure. designed by Aerosin and like mm-hmm. you said yeah. um, it's made of a specific type of steel.
1: Yes, this was the first um, architectural use of what's called Corten steel. Back when the building was first built, one of the nicknames for it was the Rusty Palace, um, because the the steel that it's made from was designed to rust to a certain point and then stop. And that layer of rust actually protects the steel and also makes it completely maintenance-free. There's absolutely zero maintenance that needs to be done on the outside of the building except washing the windows. Mm-hmm. And this, that type of steel had been used in bridges and um, skyscrapers and stuff like that, but never as a main element in a building like this.
0: And it does have, have this very warm patina, yeah. I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And also it somewhat reflects the industrial aspect of John Deere's products. So Certainly, it, yeah. it's a lovely fit. Thank
1: you. Um, Bill Hewitt asked, well, the mandate he gave to Aeroceron was to build a building that was thoroughly modern, And yet down to earth, Mm -hmm. which could often be considered contradictory goals, but it was achieved – accomplished very um, successfully here.
0: Uh As you drive in and approach the buildings, there is this graceful sweep almost of the buildings. And Mm -hmm. they're placed around a central pond and they emerge almost as if they're part of the landscape itself. So um, that's worth a drive through, and anybody can make anybody that can drive, drive through, Absolutely. through right. and it's a one-way circle mm-hmm. right. going counterclockwise mm-hmm. that takes you around so you can see the exterior of the buildings. Right. In the center there's of the pond, there's an island, and on that island is a Henry Moore sculpture.
1: Right, yes. Uh, Bill Hewitt, this was kind of the, the last piece of art that Hewitt collected. Um, he traveled all the way to Sheffield, England, to tour Henry Moore's Studios, and to... Um, choose a masterpiece work of art a crowning achievement work of art for the grounds of the building um and this is the one he chose it actually had not been cast yet um there was only model sized versions of it but he he selected it actually on on a trip with his wife his wife was a major contributor to all of his art selections And then when he got back to Moline, he had a styrofoam version made, styrofoam and plywood version made, full size, so that he could try it in different places around the grounds and decide where exactly he wanted to put it.
0: So that's clever. And just placing it itself was a monumental task.
1: (laughs) Yes. um, Because it was on an island in a pond, there was no way to get a crane out to place this sculpture. The sculpture weighs five tons, um, and it's in two pieces. So they actually had to fly it in by helicopter. And there was a very large crowd standing there watching this get installed.
0: So you d- you drive in, you see these beautiful buildings, you see the Henry Moore sculpture, and then you park and you walk in. And as you're walking in, you're passing this stamped copper deer sculpture, which people may recognize. We have several other of those in the Quad Cities.
1: Yes, there are, there are 14 of these total scattered throughout deer um, facilities. Most of them are in the Quad Cities. And, yeah, they were made out of stamped copper by a uh, the W.H. Mullins Company in Salem, Ohio. They made all sorts of these types of sculptures, lawn ornaments and um, sculptures for uh, Civil War memorials and stuff like that back in the 1890s. And these statues are actually among the oldest non-real estate assets that John Deere owns. We've owned them since the 1890s, so it's they've been around for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you walk past that, and then Saarinen designed initially a reception building. So right. you don't walk mm-hmm. directly into the office building. Right. There's this reception building, and on the entry level, uh, there are five Grant Wood sketches. So right away, you are kind of as- astonished by what's there. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, these uh, sketches are—they're the final draft version of the preliminary drawings for a mural that he painted for a cafe in um, Cedar Rapids. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cafe no longer exists, but the murals were preserved and are now hanging in the library at Coe College. Uh
0: They're lovely. And they, you can definitely see the influence that Wood had on John Bloom, who is a local, um, who was a local Quad City artist. Their styles, at Mm -hmm. least in that era, were so similar. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a display floor below. And on that, display floor. There's a three-dimensional timeline mural created by Alexander Girard.
1: Right. Alexander Girard was um, a uh, he actually did the uh, furniture design, interior design for the building because Saarinen passed away and so um, Girard who was a friend of um, Saarinen's was hired to do the, the all the furniture design. He did a lot of furniture design during the mid-century modern era for um, Herman Miller mm-hmm. and Ames and a couple of other of those big heavy hitters. And he, he was very into folk art, and he created this unique timeline-slash-mural thing as an introduction to the pre-mechanical history of John Deere. And it's 180 feet long and 8 feet tall, so it's huge. But it's really beautiful. It's really interesting. A lot of people love spending time looking at it and trying to figure out what all the objects inside of it are. Some of them are quite mysterious. Um, (laughs) Some of them are pretty obvious and very – but all are very interesting.
0: Uh And I think it's so interesting that he could do that plus design furniture. And really he was truly known more for his furniture Furniture design. design. Mm -hmm. There are also various tractors and their components on the Mm -hmm. floor. And they themselves are artistic. Um, Let's hear a little bit about Henry Dreyfus.
1: So – When John Deere first started um, building tractors, uh, they were purely utilitarian. There was no work going into making them look nice at all. It was just to make them purely functional. But then in the 1930s, other tractor companies started focusing on making their tractors look nice. Well, an employee from John Deere traveled to New York and um, walked into the office unannounced of a man named Henry Dreyfus. Uh, Henry Dreyfus was kind of the the father of modern industrial design. If you look him up, you'll see that he designed all sorts of ubiquitous things that people take for granted and see every day. The the round uh, Honeywell thermostats, the rotary desk phones that are just absolutely ubiquitous. Um, He also designed our tractors and the first tractors he designed came out in 1936 and they were called styled tractors. And he continued to design tractors for us all through until um, about, f- well, his firm continued. He died in the 1980s, I think. And uh, But his firm continued to design tractors for us until just a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a bust of John Deere that's really interesting, too, <laughs> that was made in the 1880s.
1: Right, exactly. That's another one of our oldest works of art. Um, it's a bronze bust of John Deere. Uh, made by Leonard Volk. Leonard Volk was one of the premier sculpture portrait artists of his day. He also did one of only two life casts of Abraham Lincoln. Uh And I guess because both were considered important men, he wanted them to look like Roman senators. So both of them are dressed in togas, (laughs) which I'm pretty sure that neither John Deere nor Abraham Lincoln ever wore in real life.
0: I have never seen Abraham Lincoln, certainly, in a a toga. toga. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Continuing on into the East Building. Mm-hmm. So beyond this reception area, then you go through security, and then there's this East Building that is large. There are nine floors, and eight of those floors have art yes. mm-hmm. installed on their walls. And there's this long main floor of the fourth floor that's, that's lined with incredible art, starting with um, this cherished dear illustrator, Walter Haskell Hinton.
1: Right, yes. Hinton was hired in the 1920s and the 1930s to tell the story of John Deere through illustrations. Um, His first work was to tell the story of John Deere's invention of his steel plow, and he painted a series of paintings in black and white that kind of told that story. And then he was hired on, again, to do um, a centennial calendar for us and continued to paint magazine and calendar illustrations for us. His goal was to... This was during a period when the the tractor was just starting to be introduced on the farm. And a lot of farmers were reluctant to give up their best friend, the horse. So Hinton was trying to make the tractor look like a member of the family, even though it was a machine. Um, so a lot of his pictures are of just cute scenes with a tractor kind of thrust in the background or something like that. One of my favorites is a, a little boy and his sister standing in front of a John Deere dealership and the boy's got a toy tractor behind his back and the wheel's broken off and it says in front, parts and service, you know, come in and we'll help. And that's kind of the idea that this little boy is going to go into the dealership to get his toy tractor fixed.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a really enjoyable picture. It's very reminiscent of Norman Rockwell. Right. Yes. And then after that, you come across this folk artist, Streeter Blair. There's a painting of hers hanging there. Yeah. Uh, but then from there on, it just kind of um, balloons into yeah. this enormous astonishing collection there's a painting by the abstract expressionist head Stern, mm-hmm. and then there's works by alexander calder mark chagall juan miro uh, there's a toulouse Trec poster yes
1: mm-hmm. i kind of designed the the way you progress through that floor um, to start out with what you would expect to see in a john deere art collection uh, tractors and then agriculture and stuff like that but it quickly morphs from the figurative and agricultural to less and less figurative more and more abstract and more and more unusual
0: right and that's so fun to see for that reason besides paintings there's a photograph by Edward Curtis there too and it's just really lovely i think to to see that progression it does make you make you start to think makes you think outside the box. And that, in a way, is reflective of one of John Deere's core principles, which is which is innovation. Innovation, right. Yeah. Right there. There's a painting by Lucio mm-hmm. Munoz that I enjoyed seeing. And when we talked about it, you said it helps define what a painting is.
1: During this period, the, the abstract expressionists were kind of experimenting with the idea of what a painting is or should be, and art in general, for that matter. Um, so this one... We define it as a painting, but it's kind of half sculpture, half painting. Um, It's a wooden – at its foundation, it's a wooden panel um, that was carved and gouged and even attacked with a blowtorch. So it's got burnt edges. It's got sharp splinters, raw edges and everything. And then he laid down laminated wood around that. And then kind of the last thing he did before he started painting actually was – Glue a sheet of plywood to the top of the thing, so it covered the whole piece, and then tore that off, leaving behind all these splinters and fragments and everything and Then he started painting on it so it 's yeah it 's a very unique and very interesting piece
0: it is i I loved it and and I also enjoyed that connection between an artist 's creativity mm-hmm. and the way they think and the way we need to think creatively. As an employee at any business, right. but particularly a business like John Deere where they are on the cutting edge, they're producing new equipment, their needs are changing all the time. Um, sometimes you you can't or should not approach a problem in the traditional way. Right. Sometimes the solution is only found by looking at it at a completely different angle. angle, sometimes at a perpendicular mm-hmm. angle or right. completely looking backwards at, mm-hmm. at how you would normally um, address that problem. Right,
1: absolutely. And another goal that was achieved here was kind of a, a diversity idea. He wanted to introduce new cultures to the company. And that goes into this same idea that the broader our view and the more ideas we include, the more likely we are to come up with a solution.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's a great diversity plan. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs>
1: yeah. Decades before diversity plans were ever even thought of.
0: Right. Yeah. It is rare for a manufacturer to have such an impressive art collection. Yeah. Uh, typically, you think of... Uh, banks and financial institutions mm-hmm. and entertainment-related right. companies having these. Where else have these works of art been displayed?
1: Our most famous painting is by Grant Wood. Um, it's a painting called Fall Plowing. Um, it's very much the, the rock star of our collection. Um, and it is, we've had several of our pieces travel around as well, but this one's been all over the place. Mm-hmm. The company hadn't loaned it out um, since the 1980s, um, but just starting in 2014, um, we loaned that one specifically to the Art Gallery of Toronto, um, Ontario, Canada, the Crystal Bridges Museum in Bentonville, Arkansas, then um, on a tour of three museums starting at the Art Institute of Chicago, and then to Paris, to the Musée de l'Orangerie, and then to the Royal Academy of Arts in London. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst parts of my job is that every time that painting travels, I have to go with it and make that's, sure it's delivered properly. sounds terrible. <laughs> it is just awful, yeah. I was in um, Paris in September a year ago, and boy, the weather was just gorgeous, and I was thinking, wow, I've got the best job in the world.
0: You do. <laughs> so that's the most famous painting. Yes. Where else have these works of art been displayed? I know yeah. that there was an exhibit at the Figgy.
1: There was, right, exactly. And then we've also got a set of um, – Hinden paintings going to the Waterloo Arts Gallery starting in March, I think, because this summer is the 100th anniversary of the John Deere tractor. John Deere bought the Waterloo Gasoline Engine Company in um, 1918, so we're celebrating 100 years, and this is this exhibit of John Deere tractor illustrations in Waterloo is going to be part of that celebration.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, we hope at some point it will be easier to see some of these pictures. The employees certainly are fortunate to be able to walk down the hallways and see them. And they're rotated somewhat so that they get to see mm-hmm. different works of art. And some people have them outside their offices.
1: Right. Well, th- there are some of the lower end works of art are in offices.
0: Huh. So. Do you have a favorite piece?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I guess you could say I've got uh, good taste, or the c- current CEO has good taste. Um, my favorite painting hangs in his office. It's Mateo Kayama's Crater. It's of the top of Mount Fuji. And uh, it's, again, from this abstract expressionist era. So the artist was kind of experimenting. And it's a snow scene. So he included sh- metal shavings in the paint. So as you stand in front of it, first of all, it's huge. It's about uh, eight feet wide and six feet tall. Um, so when you stand in front of it, it fills your vision. And you see all this glittering metal shavings, but they look like ice crystals on this painting. And I feel cold when I stand in front of it. I feel like I'm standing right there on the, the mountainside.
0: That's when you know you have a great work of art right. where you feel profound emotion. Right. And you can actually feel something like mm-hmm. temperature change, like right. cold. Exactly. So you can imagine mm-hmm. yourself being in that setting. Yeah. Yeah, Tell us a little bit about your history, Nathan. You're John Deere's third curator.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. I've been with John Deere for seven years now. Before that, I had about uh, 17 years of experience in four different art museums throughout the country. I, I started out my college career as a fine arts drawing major, and I was just good enough to be frustrated with how good I wasn't. <laughs> so I looked around for some other avenue that... Kept my interest and also reflected my skills a little better. And um, Brigham Young University, where I did my undergraduate work, was opening a art museum, brand new. So I got a job there, and kind of the rest is history.
0: Well, we're certainly glad that you're here in the community and that you're taking such great care of this important art collection. When you were talking earlier about Alexander Girard, who made the created the the furniture, Mm -hmm. some of the furniture for the Mm -hmm. building. And created this three-dimensional timeline. I came across a quote of his that I thought was perfect. And it was, infinite are man's expressions of beauty and love. Open your eyes, your ears, and your hearts to them, and you will unite the peoples of the world. And I I think that probably is something Bill Hewitt, who amassed this tremendous collection, would agree with. Absolutely. Yeah, that it is eye-opening and it's expanding. expands our horizons. That's
1: one of the biggest keys of it is it's unifying. Yeah. It brings people together.
0: Yeah, that's a great message. Nathan Augustine, thank you for caring again for this important collection. We're proud to have both John Deere and this art collection in our community. And we're also excited that you continue to collect new pieces annually. This has been Carolyn Martin. Talking art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.